the mental side of things, it's now in in life. I, I literally walk around thinking, well, you know, I can do that. That's not that hard. And I, I'll have friends that say, dude, who do you <laughs> what do you think you are? And I, I'm saying this humbly, Brian. And I'm like, wait, like you don't think like that? Like I, I, I literally believe in my mind that if you can if you you can will yourself to do anything. looking for a high energy competitive way to get your team to compete while training athleticism hand-eye coordination and lateral quickness if so you got to check out spike ball top high school college and professional athletes around the world are using spike ball as a fun and safe competition to start their training sessions practices and workouts it's also a tremendous way to train your routines and releases and build that elite mindset as a listener to the peak performance podcast you can get a free spike ball set by visiting briancane.com slash spike ball. Again, that's briancane.com slash spike ball because if you're not playing spike ball, you're just playing games. Hey, how you doing? Brian Kane, your peak performance coach with another episode of the Peak Performance Podcast. Raul Banez defines longevity, consistency, and excellence. He had a 19-year Major League Baseball career, having spent 11 of those seasons with the Seattle Mariners, while also wearing the jerseys of the Kansas City Royals, Philadelphia Phillies, Los Angeles Angels, and New York Yankees. A 2009 Major League All-Star, Abanez had eight seasons with at least 20 home runs and two seasons with at least 30 home runs. He had six seasons with at least 90 RBIs and four seasons with at least 100 RBIs. In 2004, Abanez tied an American League record with six hits in one game. A 37th round draft pick in the 1992 draft, Abanez had a storied career. He is currently serving as a special advisor to the Los Angeles Dodgers and frequently appears as a commentator for ESPN and ESPN Deportes. You'll also hear his name pop up anytime a managerial position opens up in the big leagues. And someday, in my opinion, he'll be a very successful major league manager. For more on Raul, please check out his Twitter game at Raul Abanez MLB. Please welcome to the Peak Performance Podcast, Raul Abanez. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, Gator. Great, great intro. Uh, I really appreciate that. But you, you were off on one thing, brother. One thing. You said I was a 37th round pick, and I was a 36th round pick. I was one round better. Than <laughs> unbelievable, man. That's unbelievable. I love it. I got Wikipedia is going to have to go in there and update that because that's an absolute slap in the face to put you in there at the 30, 37th round. How you weren't a first round pick and made it in 19 years. That's unbelievable to me. But Raul, <laughs> man, give our listeners a snapshot kind of into your childhood growing up in Miami, you know, going to Miami-Dade Community College and signing as a 36th round pick and then having a 19-year career, man. Give us the journey into how you got to where you are. Well, I, I acquired my my love for baseball from my dad and my older brothers. We played tape ball. We didn't you know, have wiffle balls and all that stuff, so we played tape balls, taped it, small baseballs, and I just played outside in front of my house, banging that ball into our front door or the side wall repeatedly. Uh, and the game was a line drive game. You could only hit line drives. You couldn't hit ground downs, and you couldn't hit pop-ups because you were out. So that's where I started 
that whole journey. And then, uh, you know, it came up through the ranks like everybody else, limited travel ball back then, uh, a few months a year in the summer. Of course, in the, the spring, he's played all the time. And uh, then I went to high school. And that's where I think I really started sharpening it. This is when, that's when I knew I wanted to play baseball. I, I quit playing baseball for like 18 months to two years. I think I just got burned out with it. Uh, then I, I had a, a high school coach come up to me and say, hey, we heard that you were supposed to be a draft pick. Uh, what a shame that you don't play anymore. So I went back to this guy. I said, hey, can I start practicing with you? Started working with him every day. And then before you know it, that's all I did. It was this uh, insane obsession where you could find me anytime, uh, you know, hitting off of a, a, a street cone, like one of those construction cones. And six baseballs, seven baseballs, I had to just hit over and over and over again and visualize myself in the big leagues. Went to Miami-Dade, played there for a year and got drafted. Got drafted out of high school in the 54th round. Then I got drafted out of Miami-Dade. Was supposed to be a, you know, top 10 round pick. I had a really good season. Uh, My dad passed away that year. Uh, Two months before I signed, my dad passed away. Uh, And uh, I got called in the 16th round. Mariners called me in the 15th round, said, we'll take you the next pick. Will you sign? I said, absolutely. They called me back in the 36th round. They said, we can't give you that money. So, um, And quite frankly, Brian, I just left because I got tired of hearing my mom cry every morning after my dad passed away. That's all I heard every day. So I literally took the $15,000 in the school and said, I'm going to go make mine uh, you know, in, in pro baseball. Wow. And, you know, you, you, one of the things you just mentioned was, you know, it, taking batting practice and hitting off of a damn construction cone as a tee and visualizing yourself playing in the big leagues. Yeah, how, Raul, how important was mental imagery and visualization in your game? Brian, I, I, I swear to you, if you talk to my older brother, we had this job at Carnival Cruise Lines and my dad worked at Carnival Cruise Lines and we had this job that we got through my dad. And it was we <clears throat> it's going to sound funny, but we made fruit baskets. You know, you go on a trip, you put fruit bananas, cheese. I still remember the order. It was like four oranges. It was like the most tedious, monotonous job paid well, but it was tedious and monotonous. And I jokingly say all the time that half jokingly that I got to the major leagues because of that job, because I'd sit there for four or five hours in a row and we'd go dead silent, dead silent, my brother and I, and just do this monotonous, tedious job. And my only escape from it was visualizing myself in different major league ballparks, visualizing myself on different college fields, visualizing myself getting hits off of the best pitchers in the district in in high school. And I half-jokingly say that's where my mental imagery really helped assist me in this journey. That's unbelievable. I mean, talk about maximizing your time. You're making from, you know, what, what, that's like the story of a damn documentary from making fruit baskets for Carnival Cruise Lines to a 19 year major league career. I love it. Robo, what, if you had to talk about the mental game, man, what is the mental game to you? The mental game to me is, is everything. And now I've had time to back away from this whole thing that just happened, this thing I was blessed with to play for that long. The mental game is everything to me because uh it starts with passion now i look back on it and i go what just happened how were you able to do that and and you gotta have the passion that is the driving force that is the fuel that's the wind for your sail whatever you want to call it that is the gift the gift is the passion because that's what keeps you driving forward like a maniac and and to get to the highest level it requires some guys are incredibly gifted and talented, and there's not that many of those guys, believe it or not. 
most guys, it's just different variations of, of something that they do really, really well. Uh, but most guys have that passion and that drive at the highest level. It's, it's actually more common to see the passion and the drive than it is to not see it. Occasionally you do, but mo- most of the time it is. But the mental side of things, it's now in, in life. I, I literally walk around thinking, well, you know, I can do that. That's not that hard. And I, I'll have friends that say, dude, who do you <laughs> what do you think you are? And I, I'm saying this humbly, Brian. And I'm like, wait, like you don't think like that? Like I, I literally believe in my mind that if you can – if you you can will yourself to do anything. Brian, I saw you last a couple of years ago. You told me you were going to start getting in shape and you were going to start working out and you were doing like yoga. You know, maybe to you, you were on that journey, but I haven't been with you on that journey every day. But like to me, that's astonishing. That's fascinating to me. And a couple of years ago, I saw you, you were like, yeah, I got to get in the gym more. You know, I got to get in the gym three or four days a week. And now you just did a triathlon. So we could will ourselves to do anything and that's really what i believe about the mental game yeah it's unbelievable i mean once like as you said is you you get that you just get to a place in your life where you get that mindset that i think you can do anything if you have the right training you can do anything if you're willing to commit yourself and put yourself on that path is that a mindset that you see common amongst the all the guys you played with for 19 years of major league baseball and is there anything any kind of you know mental game traits that you saw were consistent across the board besides just that passion and that drive? Is there a confidence? Is there a routine? What other things kind of popped up that you saw? Yeah, you see a lot of, you see confidence, um, but the confidence, you also see the insecurity and people think that insecurity is a bad thing. Insecurity is, can be a great thing because insecurity keeps me humble. Insecurity keeps me thinking that something's about to catch me. So that keeps me driving forward. That keeps me focused on, on routine. And that keeps these guys focused on, on their routines and, and forces you to do your due diligence and forces you to try a new exercise and allows you, you know, the, uh, the open-mindedness to, you know, pick up a suggestion from somebody else and go, Hey, that could make me better. So that having the balance of confidence and yet being humble enough or being in, having a little bit of insecurity to uh, to to go with that confidence keeps you sharp. Um, I think the drive, the competitiveness, the best players I was so fortunate to play with were incredibly competitive. I mean, I got to play with Mike Trout for about four months. You could literally get Mike Trout. Uh, you know, if you challenge him, you can get him to do just about anything on the baseball field you can go hey i'm i can beat you at this and and you could literally mike trout would sit and stand in center field during batting practice there's this little tiny hole in the center field wall and after he'd take his ground balls his fly balls and take his batting practice he would be challenging himself to throw a ball throw a baseball through this tiny little hole in center field a tiny little hole that the ball barely fits through and he would just sit there over and over and you could hear the cheers from himself when he when he would do it every time he accomplished it, I took batting practice with him for for you know six weeks in spring training, and there was a garbage can up on the hill in left center field, and he's trying to hit baseballs into the garbage can. The garbage can's like 420 feet away, and I watched him do it well over a half dozen times in spring training. You could ask his teammates, like we we've seen him do it. So he's a guy that's constantly, he's not just the most talented guy, but he's also 
fiercely competitive and constantly pushing himself. And I think that's a trait that you see amongst many major leaguers, but especially the best ones. They're uber competitive. You know, when it comes to competition, you know, you mentioned um, like a measurement, right? Mike Trout trying to throw a ball through a hole in the wall or trying to hit a home run 420 feet away into a damn garbage can, which is unbelievable. You know, in the 12 pillars of peak performance, pillar number four is measurement is motivation. How do you use measurement as a motivator or kind of those numbers as a motivator for you? Brian, that's why I love baseball so much, right? Because you measure yourself every night. And, and you have to, the, the way that you use measurement is you go, I don't focus on the result. You don't focus on, on, I focus on obviously the process. You focus on what you can control, what I did well, what I didn't do well, reevaluate and then come back. But the, the measurement part is, is key in everything you do, everything. I mean, you know, you, you gotta be willing and open-minded enough to, to receive feedback from people that you trust and and use the measurement properly but the the data is there for a reason you know ultimately at the end of the day in baseball in a game like baseball either you did or you did not and and that's at the end of the day that's what's accurate now they're got they've gotten a lot better at at figuring out what you did well actually means which you know they'll measure exit velocity they'll measure you know hard hit contact and ratio and and how uh you know ground balls to fly ball ratio, line drives, launch angles, they measure all of that stuff. But the player, the, that burden is on the player to consistently challenge himself when no one's around. Harvey Dorfman, which was one of my mentors that we talked about before, he, he, he used to tell me all the time, who you are is what you do when nobody's watching. So that's where you really make your strides forward is when nobody's around, when you're in the cage by yourself. When you're in the tra- when you're in the gym and nobody's watching, when you're in the gym and people are watching and nobody knows whether you're giving your all, but only you know deep down inside, did I give my all today? And being brutally honest with yourself and being a hawk, so vigilant with your own thoughts that you go uh, calling yourself out and not making excuses for yourself. I think that's all a part of measurement too. If you would. Well, we'll talk a little bit about kind of your relationship with Harvey Dorfman. I know you played with with the Phillies and Roy Halladay and Jamie Moyer have talked a ton about the impact that he's had and that Dorfman had in their career. And and Jamie Moyer in his book, Just Tell Me I Can't, the whole book is about his relationship with Harvey Dorfman. And then you played with, you know, the Yankees and with Alex Rodriguez, who who was a a Dorfman guy. Talk a little bit about Harvey and and some of the things that he taught you uh, in your relationship with him. Harvey was was, – is – if I if I had not met Harvey, if Jamie Moyer did not introduce me to Harvey back in the year 2000 when I was uh, you know a fifth outfielder, third string catcher on the Seattle Mariners, I wouldn't be having this conversation with you today. I mean, unless we ran into each other on the subway or something. So, I, I it was you know I was I had one foot out the door. Harvey Dorfman, I went and spent three days with him at his home, and that's how he used to do it. And he pretty much helped me and taught me how to remold myself, how to build myself back up mentally, uh, and how to be vigilant with my thoughts. And Harvey was fantastic because he'd just call you out. So if <laughs> whatever, he'd, he'd listen, he'd ask you questions, he'd totally Jedi mind trick you, and he'd just ask you the questions and get you to say what he wanted to say, and then he'd zap and blast you on the spot and say, he'd say stuff like, um, 
oh yeah, you're feeling, you know, you're, you're they're they're on you a little bit uh, for not driving in runs, and and uh, you know, yeah, you know that's perfectly normal. And then he'd say, but you're not effing normal. You're a major league baseball player. You're a major league all star. You're not normal. Deal with it. And <laughs> he'd so he'd he'd build you up a little bit, and then he'd punch you right in the chest with it. And it was so practical. Uh, and so brilliant and so simple and and uh, and it was all of these things and so without him I wouldn't be here and you talk to the guys that had the had the the privilege and the honor uh, to work with the great Harvey Dorfman like you said guys like Roy Halladay and Jamie Moyer and you know we were on the same team and occasionally you know Jamie would say what what would Harvey tell you and we would we would say that to each other at times what would Harvey say or or you know what Harvey would say. Right. And so um, just the impact that he had on all of us uh, from that perspective is just uh, extraordinary. You know, you were with a bunch of other organizations. Is there other mental game guys that you came across in your 19 years? And were, were they were they as effective as Harvey? And if so, how come? And if not, where were some of the breakdowns that you saw? Yeah, I mean, there's I mean, there's there's guys that were uh, that are really good uh as far as organizational guys go, there was a guy named um, there's a guy named uh, Jack Curtis that he did a fantastic job. He uses uh, hypnosis and affirmations, and and uh, he actually spent a lot of time with Harvey. He'd fly down on his own dime to go spend time and learn from Harvey. Uh, so he did a great job. And I think I think the breakdown within the game of baseball, uh, you know, there's there's obviously there's Brian Kane who's a beast, right? Like, but, uh, you know, stud and, and, but we're talking about within the game. And I think sometimes within the game and you, it's breaking down now some, but you know, people used to look at the sports psychologist, like, like you're talking to him, there must be something wrong with you. Um, and I think I'd love to be able to get to the point where they go, you're talking to him. There must be something right with you. Uh, the, the, the Yankees, use it very, very well. Uh, Joe Girardi encourages it. It's backed by, you know, Brian Cashman and they use Chad bowling as part of meetings and Chad uses video and, and they've integrated very well. Most, most other major league teams, they just, they have it. It's there for you, but you have to, you know, you have to kind of go out on your own and, and do it and seek it, but it's there. It's there. Every major league team has someone that does it. Um, and, you know, the, the reason I think Harvey Harvey wasn't only great at what he did and, and just incredible at what he did, uh, but it was I think it was also that time you spent alone with him away from the stadium, you know, because I didn't he was working for Boris Corporation back then and having that time by yourself to just go out there and, and pour your heart out and say, here, here's what I'm struggling with. Um, it was just uh, it, it, that's why that situation was so unique and special. But he was just incredible. That's awesome. Awesome. And what, what, uh, you know, I think one of the things that Harvey probably talked with you about at some point was like, how do you define success for yourself as a player? And well, how did you define success, success for yourself as a player during your career? Was it simply a, a home runs and RBIs thing or was there more to it than that? Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, you know, you had your long-term goals, but your the daily goals, I defined success. I was in the consistency of my approach and my routine. Um, if I can come in and do the mundane and the everyday 
normal stuff. If I could do that with the same zest and passion every day, I knew I had a much greater opportunity to be successful. And so I would look at, at the end of the day, I would, I would sit there at my locker and even during it all for four, I'd be pissed at myself, but I'd go back and I'd look and I'd go, Hey, I did everything in my power today. Or did you do everything in your power today? And then I'd say, and what happened? And then I'd go, okay, what am I going to do next time? And that was my evaluation afterwards. But I defined success as, as barreling up the baseball. And, and I even took it one step further. If it was a barreled up baseball on a good swing that I popped straight up and it was on the barrel, I, I defined that as a successful, as a semi-successful at bat. It wasn't, there wasn't a stat for it, but I go, okay, I'm right where I need to be. I'm right where I need to be. I'm close. I'm close. There's a lot of failure in baseball, obviously, Brian, and you have to play you know, the, the mind game with yourself that, okay, um, I'm one great swing away. I'm one, you know, there was one time in New York, I was 0 for 5, 0 for 4 on the day, and I walked to Freddie Garcia, and I said, uh, he was in the dugout, and I go, man, after that ground ball double play, what big moment in the game, I feel like running out the right, I feel like running down the first baseline, continuing down the right field line, jump the wall, and go home, because that's how embarrassed I was. And, came up the next at bat and hit a game tying homer and you know in like the 11th inning or something like that and freddie comes up to me and goes how about now like he's he's pushing me he's like yeah how about now you feel like going home now how do you feel now and and that's the point in baseball that's why baseball is the greatest game you can go over five you can be over 12 and come up with a game-winning hit and nobody cares about the other 11 at bats so you're always one pitch one swing one play away from greatness Love that. That's that's hilarious. About wanting to run and jump over the wanting to run and jump over the wall. I felt like wanting to run and jump into the lake at one point when I was doing this Ironman. But you know, let's shift gears here a little bit from kind of performance uh, on the field and talk about performance in the clubhouse. You know, and in a poll by Sports Illustrated, they pulled 290 Major League Baseball players, and you were actually the second nicest guy in Major League Baseball behind Jim Tomei. Why is it important for you to be a great teammate, and what does it mean to be a great teammate? Well, uh, you know, I I don't to be a great teammate. I mean, you know, even the nicest guy thing, you know, and I'm I'm so thankful that guys actually thought that way uh, about me. But I actually think it's harder, Brian, to not be a good teammate. And all that means is it's not just about being a good teammate. It's about being a good person. It's about being good to the people that park your cars. And when you come through the uh, the stadium, the security and the ushers and the gentleman that holds the door for you and the clubhouse assistants, and being good to those guys, just saying, hello, how are you? How's your family doing? And remembering a little something about them. That goes so long. We have an opportunity as Major League Baseball players to make an impact on the lives of others, a positive impact. It, it's, it's not that hard to get out of your own body for one moment and just go, hey, how are you? Hey, how, how'd your daughter's graduation go? It's just not that hard to me, and I think that that's a. There's a lot of guys, by the way, that that do this. There's a lot of guys, and I just think a lot more should. So I, I think it should be part of your of your contract is to not. There should be a not be a jackass clause in your contract. It's it's not <laughs> that's that awesome. it's, it's not that it's not that hard to just be kind to people. You know, you go to a restaurant and and leave a nice tip for you know the waiter the waitress that worked hard for you um to be kind to fans even if you can't sign just say hey i can't right now so there's guys 
you know, there's times on the field where you can't sign an autograph because you've got work to do and you're in between and you're hyper-focused and you're, and just to acknowledge a fan and wave to him and say, Hey, I really can't right now. That means something. So, um, I, I think it's just being conscientious of your surroundings and, and, uh, and, and aware that, you know, your teammates have families, they have lives, they're struggling too. You may be going good, but they're not. So try to be a good teammate, not, you know, beat your chest, just uplift and, and encourage and say, Hey, you're going to be all right. And try to be a helpful teammate. Um, I think that's, that's part of your job, or, or at least it should be. Obviously, not everybody does it, but um, I think it should be part of your job. Well, you know, well part, part of your job in 2014, right, you, you sign and then get released by the Angels, and a week or 10 days later, you get picked up by the Kansas City Royals. And, you know, during the season that year in 14, they're struggling. They're about 48 and 50, 100 games into the year uh, on July 21st. And, you know, the, your manager, Ned Yost, says that the team needed to improve its play. And you you led a players-only meeting. And, that, you know, and players later in the year, Eric Hosmer and Lorenzo Cain, they credited the turnaround of the attitudes of the players you know, to that meeting. And the Royals then won 24 of their next 30 games. They secure the wild card. They go to the World Series in 14 and unfortunately lose the San Francisco Giants. But they looked at that meeting that you called in your last season as something that really turned that, that you know, season around. And then I believe they won the World Series the next year. What, what, what was it that spurred you to cause that meeting? And what did you guys talk about in there? Well, I think that, you know, what, what spurred that meeting was, watching um you know being a part I, I got released and the royals were one of the teams that called not the only team but uh once they called i was really encouraged by the fact that you could be a part of something that hadn't been done in 29 years they hadn't won the world series since 85 so i was encouraged by that i was encouraged by their roster and how good they were when you sat in the other dugout I was, but once i got there i realized gosh these guys are, are young they're vibrant they're they they can really really play great kids great teammates really aware superstar people, but they didn't know how good they were because they had been, you know, for years, if you get, if you get around veteran guys that, you know, maybe don't do exactly what they're supposed to do or, or, or teach, or even if you get young guys that don't listen, if you don't get the right people in place that don't show them how to win and what it means to be a winning culture and that, you know, moving the runner over from second base is a victory and everyone should come up and shake that dude's hand. And, and that means something and playing as a team, that is something. So, uh, you know, what the meeting was, it was, I think we lost like six in a row. We lost the first four in Boston after, uh, um, the all-star break. And what the meeting was, was essentially, look, I don't know if I'm going to be here for two more days or two more weeks or two months or the, for the rest of the season. But it would be a crime if, if I don't tell you how good you are. It'd be a crime if you guys didn't know that uh, it matters to move runners over. It matters to play as a team. And that at the end of the day, nobody cares how many hits you got. They only care about the W in the win column. That's it. That's it. So uh, shifting that mindset and, and having them picture themselves as the best team in baseball. And one of the things that we walked out is I, I said – look, I don't care what's happened up until this point. We are, our goal right now is to be the best team and the best record in major league baseball from here until the season is over. That's our goal. That's what this team is. And, uh, you know, lo and behold, they did it. Now 
listen, Brian, it's, you know, they like this. You can't make chicken salad out of chicken crap. <laughs> it was it was all there already. They were they were already a great team. I, I just they I, I think that they didn't have a, a single minded focus and purpose and and they didn't know how great they were. And and they have guys in there to carry that torch forward. Guys like Hosmer and Mustakas and Dyson and Kane and and Salvi and Eski. And they have this great culture um and the, you know they they fell short last year they won obviously in 15 they fell short last year but that team uh will be back and these you know these lessons are or not lessons but this meeting was really a culmination of all the stuff that i had learned from harvey that i had learned from brian kane that i had learned from dr john elliott that i had learned from uh you know dr curtis jack curtis these were all uh you know behind the scenes working, trying to put the vision and the picture in their minds and making it vivid and, and having them, you know, even during the meeting, talk about what, what champagne would feel like. I go, guys, you got, you know, we have an opportunity to do something legendary here. We have an opportunity to do something that hasn't been done in 35 years or 29 years. That's stuff where people will know where they were the moment you guys win the world series, where the generations of Kansas city Royals fans that come behind you, will be able to to be associated and identify their major league baseball experience with a winning team. This is stuff that's cultural, it's bigger than than us. This is stuff where the entire society, you know, the community in in Kansas City will be able to identify you guys as winners for the rest of your lives. This is serious stuff. We're 50, you know, 40 years from now you're walking down the street and people will go thank you. Like this is, these are serious implications here, and and these guys just took to it and they did it, and uh, they're just a, an incredible group of guys, and I couldn't be more proud to have been associated with them. Well, it sounds like a lot of what you did was you helped create the vision, and it helped them get a little bit more focused, maybe on the process and what it means to go out there on a daily basis, and and you know go out there with a daily purpose and a plan to win and you know i think a lot of times you know raul is as professional athletes you guys are like dragon slayers you know and there's a mission every day where we got to go out and slay the dragon which is to win the game by winning the pitches and then all of a sudden you know your career ends and you've been a dragon slayer for 19 years as a professional athlete and all of a sudden there's no more dragons to slay what is what's the transition like from going from playing Major League Baseball for 19 years into you know retirement where you're no longer playing, and what what has that transition been like for you, and how do you define success now for yourself, you know, in your life without baseball as a player? Well, Brian, I've always defined success first and foremost as being a good father, and and the best husband that I could be. That's that's to me has meant more. Uh, you know, as far as my own definition of success than anything I could ever do on the major league baseball field. That's the most serious job that every man and every father has is, is to be a good dad and to teach their kids and to, to love on them and instruct them and guide them. So, uh, that to me is, is first and foremost. And I think after being in that insulated bubble, that is major league baseball, where it's a, a mentality of train, you know, we're, during the off seasons, I'm, I'm building, my wife's building vacations and I am building vacations around the quality of the gym in the resort. You know what I mean? Like it's this, it's this bubble and this, That's and this, awesome. oh, and this, this obsessive compulsive, uh, disorder in a good way that's used, you know, you use positively. 
But then you step out of that world. And first I, I look back and I go, man, that actually happened. The kid from Miami that was the 36th round pick, not 37th, Brian, 36th. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but uh, the, kid, the kid from you know Miami, this actually happened. My dreams were came true. And, and I go, what was that? How do you do that? Or, or, and, and so now it's given me – I've failed so much, Brian, that I'm not afraid to fail. So I think that's one of the greatest gifts that it, it – that major league baseball gave me is I have zero fear of failure. Um, I have zero fear of embarrassment or ridicule and, and I'm going to keep getting back up and I just keep driving forward. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm working at ESPN. I love doing that. I have a great time with that. I mean, every once in a while I look around and I'm like, dude, I'm on sports center right now. Like I used to watch sports center as a kid and I'm on sports center with, you know, Chris Berman walking around and, and Bob Lee and, and these guys. And I'm like, I'm on sports center with these dudes. So it's really, really cool. And, and, uh, and, you know, that's just the, the most, uh, incredible, you know, thing is to be a part of that and to be in that type of, uh, uh, scenario and, and situation. And, and all of that came from the stuff that I was did, you know, in major league baseball, my job with the Dodgers, I absolutely love being able to pour into the younger guys, uh, all of these lessons and, and the, you know, sometimes players, as you know, Brian, sometimes they'll open up to another guy in a uniform more than they will to the, to the performance coach. So, uh, just being able to give your, your impact of the stuff that I learned from working with you is being felt the ripple effect of that is being felt for, you know, hopefully decades to come. Cause that's how it works. Paying it forward. You give it to somebody else, they're going to give it to somebody else and, and move it on down the line. So um, I really define success by helping others and the impact that I can have on others, on your family, first and foremost, and on other people that could really, really benefit from it. You know, the youth uh, players, my son's high school teammates. Um, so all of that is, uh, is really how I define success. Awesome, Raul, man. Last question for you, and really appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to uh, to do this podcast. It's been absolutely unbelievable. Last question for you. What is it that you know now, looking back, that you wish you knew when you were, say, you know, pre-draft, you were in, playing out of high school or playing in college, because a lot of people that are listening to this podcast are going to be high school, college baseball players. What do you know now that you wish you knew then? I wish I knew this is a good, this is a really tough one, right? Because part of that, uh, feeling of, of, you know, never thinking that you're good enough and that nothing you did was good enough and that anything you did was enough. Part of that feeling is, is, is maddening, drives you nuts when you're not there, when you're not around, when you're at home and you're, you know, at 3am it wakes you up and goes, you got to do more tomorrow. Uh, I wish I knew how to uh, really enjoy the journey of this whole thing. Like, you know, I see a lot of kids today. My son's 15, and, and there's kids on his freshman team that are committed to play at D1 schools. I see a lot of these kids, and I try to tell the kids all the time, listen, guys, don't play because you want something out of it. Play because you love it. Play because you're, you're passionate about it. Play for the pure love of playing. Brian, I would have played Major League Baseball for free. I'm glad that they paid me, but but I would have done it for free. So I, I think my message would be somewhere in between. Try to balance the the work and the drive and really enjoying it 
having fun while you're doing it. Um, not that I didn't have fun. I did it because I loved it and, and I, I had fun. But at the same time, that extra stress of in today's game where kids are trying to get committed to college and they're trying to focus on, you know, get drafted, get drafted, get drafted. Enjoy the game. Love the game. Have a good time with it. Really uh, enjoy the process of being in the batting cage. Like, I love that process. I love the tiny nuances that I used to be able to figure out on my own. You know, the last four inches before contact, it, you know, I feel this. And I love that, you know, trying to pick apart and, and decipher that puzzle uh, and enjoy that part of the game. And everything else uh, will come. But don't play because you want something out of it. Play because you love it more than anything. Raul Banez, man, I cannot thank you enough. Unbelievable podcast. Thank you for sharing your experience, your wisdom. Uh, you're you're going to make a tremendous impact on the coaches and, and players that are listening to this podcast. Absolutely unbelievable. Thank you so much. Brian, thanks, buddy. Congratulations on the triathlon, and thanks for making me better, man. Thanks for everything you've taught me, and, and, uh, and our relationship continues to grow, and I appreciate it. Thank you, buddy. Thank you, man, and make sure you all follow Raul at Raul Abanez. That's R-A-U-L. I-B-A-N-E-Z M-L-B at Raul Abanez M-L-B on Twitter. Thanks again for checking out the Peak Performance Podcast. Make sure you absolutely, positively dominate the day. If your body could talk, what would it tell you? Know your body, transform your life. That's the motto of DexaFit, the best in helping you know your numbers. DexaFit shows you exactly how your body composition, cardiovascular fitness, and metabolic health compares to the optimal standard. We know that measurement equals motivation, and DexaFit measures your progress while providing the diet and fitness plan customized for your body. DexaFit is providing a tremendous opportunity for listeners of the Peak Performance Podcast to get their first scan at a discounted rate. Go to briancane.com slash DexaFit. That's briancane.com slash D-E-X-A-F-I-T right now to learn more. Thanks for listening to the Peak Performance Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please head over to iTunes and leave a positive review or share a link to this episode on social media using hashtag PeakPod. Mention Brian Kane and one thing you learned in this episode for your chance to win a free ticket to the next Brian Kane Experience live event. Dominate the day.